Hello and welcome back to the Sunday Long Read Podcast. My name is Jacob Feldman. We've got a stellar guest this week. All, all our guests are, are, are stellar, but today's really is spectacular and I can't wait to speak with her. So we're going to keep the intro brief. Jean Marie Laskus is the best-selling author of eight books. Her most recent is To Obama with Love, Joy, Anger, and Hope. A two-time National Magazine Award finalist in feature writing, she's currently a contributing writer at the New York Times Magazine and a GQ correspondent. How are you doing today? I'm just great. Good to be with you. Yes, yes, of course. And and you're coming off. Uh, it's been a few months now since Two Obama has come out, and you've been, by my count, five states across five states these last couple of months doing bring a book tour. I I, I want to start there. I'm curious, what what has it been like being on tour? What what are your takeaways been? Uh, as you're traveling around with this book about Barack Obama in 2019? It's been really interesting. I mean, I think the 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 worry I had was that um, people would be uh, sad to be nostalgic or something. <laughs> and, you know, it's not a it's really not a book that's sort of like about any kind of nostalgia. But of course, the contrast is so sharp. Um, but it's been really interesting. A lot of the letter writers, people whose letters are in the book come out and I have them stand up and read their letters and you just get such an interesting um, smattering of what it was like to work in that White House. Um, the kinds of things that people wrote to the to that president, it, it, it's just ugh, the contrast is so stark. Moving back a little bit, the, this obviously started as a New York Times Magazine feature. Uh, and and widely beloved, we, sh- we shared it in the newsletter at the time. I'm, I'm curious, did you have the idea to turn it into a book before that went to press, or, or how did how did that happen? No, definitely not. You know, it was one of those the the magazine article. It was sort of like you know, really one of those stories that's kind of a one off in your mind. Uh, you know, I found out that Obama had been reading ten ten letters a day, and I just was so curious about that. And it was kind of an interesting time to to look back at what that sort of experiment was about and for him and for the people who wrote to him and just that conversation, what was that conversation going on? Um, And, you know, at the time I was reporting it, of course, the polls all showed that the election was going to to Clinton. So, you know, I don't know, the story took on a totally different turn the day of the election and the day after when I was there in the mailroom. Um, and suddenly it was just like, oh, a totally different story. Just like in one moment, it turned into a different story. Um, and the Times ended up running it on Inauguration Day to really, uh, you know, crank the volume there of contrast. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And um, that, re- so the reaction was like crazy. I mean, I think that it came at a moment when everyone needed something, a place to, um, ah, I don't know, you know, speak their minds. And so the reaction was so, so loud. Um, And part of the frustration I had was, I was like, oh, but you people don't know the half of it. Because, you know, it's a story and I had so much more and so many letters and so many great characters. So it was an easy, really for me, easy to go, all right, let's, let's, let's just expand this and tell the whole thing. Yeah, and, and and so what is the first step when you say, okay, this this is going to be a book? What, what 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 do you sit down and do first? In this case, it was a book that needed to happen fast. At least I felt it did, um, because it just seemed, I don't know, urgent to to 
before we, I don't know, it just felt I needed to do it fast. And so I put the, uh, together a team um, uh, of people that I sometimes work with. Um, and we just, you know, we had room, a room full of mail to go through, <laughs> um, you know, and to sift through and which letters should we use in the book? And can we reach these people to get their permission? And, um, you know, just that, just the, the sheer volume of material was crazy. Um, and then I wanted to go on this kind of like, you know, tour of America, meeting these people who wrote, why did you write? What were you thinking? And what did you get out of it? So it was, it was a real collaborative project, which, you know, that made it more fun. Now, now that it's done, do you see it as the book, a one-off or is this, you know, sort of a project that you imagine taking, taking new shapes? Well, actually, it's funny the way these things go. Um, when we were when we were traipsing around the country, I was with I had an audio producer, Aaron Anderson, um, who did a lot of the interviews with me or by herself, and also a reach searcher, Rachel Wilkinson. And the idea back then was, you know, these characters, these voices are so great. Let's let's get good audio. That was the idea. Um, the idea that maybe we'd make some kind of podcast after the book was finished and that's what we're doing um we're making that oh great yeah with anonymous content is doing it and it's it's a it's a cool project um and then then anonymous also um has a you know a tv show that they're trying to get together the idea it's sort of like um you know the west wing but in the mail room it's like (laughs) down Uh downstairs (laughs) Because those characters are cool. So, so yeah, you know, who knows? This just keeps going sometimes. So it's fun. It's a fun, it's just fun material. Sometimes for me, you know, some stories that you send off and, and you're glad never to see them again. Another one's like, oh, you know, I wish I could, I could live in that world a little longer. Which one is it with, with this? I think this one is kind of infinite just because of the, just because of the number of letters and characters that are, who are possible to think about and write about. And, you know, I go around and I do readings and I meet 10 more people who wrote letters and what they were thinking. And then I meet five more people who used to work in that mail room as interns. And it's just a vast like subculture <laughs> of um, stories and, and passing, I don't know. So to me, this one just keeps going on and on. Is there something about the, the you know, the physical mail aspect of it you think, you know, is a big attraction to you? For me, it definitely was, especially like, you know, the actual handwritten letters are so amazing. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the, they're like artifacts. And in fact, in the book, that's why we used a lot of them, you know, with the, especially the ones with the handwriting. I, those are always yeah, the exactly. coolest. Yeah. Um, and it's like, this is the story of America in those eight years. You know, this is us. These are these, this is what we were thinking and th- in these kind of, you know, these letters are not, um, most of them are not like writing to a president. Like a lot of people wrote to Obama, like in their hours of need, like, you know, when they were lonely or, I mean, it's like they were like, it was a shrink or something. So you get these really intimate conversations that it's like, oh, that's, that's, wow, that's who we are. No, absolutely. It does come across, you know, more like a, a country's diary than, than the country's correspondence um, in, in a lot of ways. I guess we can we can segue from that, uh, a stone throw from the White House to, to the Joe Biden 
um, profile that you wrote early on in, in their uh, second term. And I'm curious, and it, it's popped back up. Uh, we, we shared in the newsletter, Jack Schaefer did, uh, when, when Biden announced uh, his intention to run this time around, and, and I know others shared it as well. When you get that assignment or, or, or write that story, are you thinking about you know nearly a, a decade-long shelf life and in and, and this online age, people you know going back and, and reading it and, um, and and parsing it and it becoming you know part of uh, th- this presidential aspirant's reputation? Uh, two words to that hell no (laughs) you know you're not i am not i'm thinking how can i get access to this guy so that i can write a real story yeah i mean you know to me the hardest profiles ever to do are of anyone in politics because ah, it's partly the access problem and partly the you know the sort of scripted external selves that those folks um present in Biden, that wasn't the worry. You know, the scripted part is never the <laughs> issue with Biden. Sure, it's just it's just the access. Yeah, and um, I was I was researching that thing forever, and and almost gave up on it for a while. When um, you know, I went to the freaking, I guess I shouldn't say freaking, um, you know, Vatican uh-huh. <laughs> right. for the Pope's inauguration. Right. Um, thinking thinking surely that would give me a scene, but um just just wasn't Biden yet. So it wasn't until I got to hang out with him in Wilmington and his childhood home that it became like a really cool opportunity to write about him. So that's what you're thinking about, you know, when you're, well, we all know (laughs) when you're when you're off reporting, like, what in the heck am I writing about? (laughs) Yeah. And and it's really the research thing I'm, I'm fascinated by because Obviously, this is a, a politician. Even then, had a decades-long history, and you know, longer now. And and but for the most part, the story stays in, in that one day. And I think that's probably the reason why it feels you know still fresh or, or uh, contemporary even now. And I'm curious if that was the the plan going in. But you know, by by my count, you kind of spent uh, 400 words on his 40-year history out of 6,000 uh, words. So um, w- was that how it was always from from the first draft, or how did you kind of decide? You know what? people maybe know this or they can find out about this. I'm going to focus on this, this single day in Wilmington, largely uh, w- with the trip to the Vatican there too. But Yeah, well, to me, it didn't matter who he was, really. It's just sort of like with any profile. It's just, for me, it's always about how can you evoke a character um, and what are the moments when that character reveals him or herself. Um, and the rest of it doesn't even quite matter. It's just backstory. And the fact that certainly with a politician lots of people know this politician blah 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 it's a lot of blah 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 and um i don't really feel that like for my contribution to um the biden's political history is really that valuable to the world like there's better people at that (laughs) so that's not why you're probably going to read that story for like my take on his like you know foreign policy expertise however when you when you do all your sort of you know research and research and research into this guy it did seem to me that he was so misunderstood and there were pieces of his his background that had kind of like fallen off and especially the stuff about his stutter and how he overcame the stutter and that all was linked to that moment those moments in Wilmington i mean we were on the front stoop where he remembered putting you know rocks in his mouth and trying to 
overcome this stutter and and also this stuff about his you know his wife in the car accident and his kid dying and we were at the cemetery and these things were so like immediate for him in these moments so those pieces of his biography that revealed themselves during that that time in wilmington i thought this was a moment to kind of like to pause and think about them and how does how did those contribute to who this guy is today you know and and his over all that he overcame personally um and now here he is like the vice president who clearly doesn't want to just be the vice president but he's putting on a good face you know i want to be the best vice vice president ever and you see through that and go no you don't you really want to be president but you're you know so that was you know to me that starts focusing it in ways that are really immediate and about those moments and then maybe the reader can get that guy as opposed to my analysis of a politician which as i said i i don't just feel like i have much to offer that that other people don't do way better that's interesting. So, so I mean, do you think about it as, as if like making it interesting, even if he wasn't the vice president? Is that kind of how you're, you're thinking about it? Most definitely. But I, you know, I always, my favorite thing is characters all the time. And I take a really similar approach, whether they're famous or not famous, really very similar. Um, and so I don't really care about what makes them special it's almost what makes them not special that's more interesting you know i think that i usually choose to write about people that people never heard of that's usually just sort of my default so when i go and write about people who everybody's heard of it's just sort of like a lens i guess uh, i maybe approach look at it through where all right yeah everybody heard about all this stuff but what else you got buddy you know i, I think one of the things that, that marks a lot of those those profiles that you're talking about is is uh inhabiting the person's mind you're getting in their head and and, and trying to voice a little bit what, what's going on in there um and, and you know you, you do that in that cemetery scene uh which is very affecting and but it, it it does strike me a little bit different in this in this biden piece and um you know you don't usually use first person but you do i pulled out this one section the job of vice president is important really it is way more important than it used to be but not in that fucked up way cheney made it important I got the feeling Biden would have loved to say fucked up way Cheney made it important, but he didn't say that, not with all the tape recorders going and the staffers there and him and his breakfast with the King of Jordan blue suit. It, it It's interesting that, you know, you, you put in, I got the feeling, whereas I feel like maybe if, if this was, you know, a, a story about um, someone in, in, in some bureaucracy somewhere or Arizona, wherever it may be in, in Pennsylvania, then maybe you would have just said Biden would have loved to say or Biden wanted, you know what I mean? It, I was curious, were, were you conscious of, of not putting words in, in the vice president's mouth in, in, in this case? Yeah. Yeah. I actually remember that scene so well, cause I was, this is, this was a scene set in, um, uh, the Naval observatory his home. Um, and it was a formal setting where, you know, everybody's there with the tape recorders and everybody's dressed up and it was this really boring interview because that's what they are. And it was before I got with him to Wilmington and it was the, it was me sensing, I mean, it, it needed to be me having an opinion in that moment, me sensing there was a lot more to this guy and I'm almost signaling to the reader and I'm gonna get there. Like, I have a feeling this guy putting on this front right here really would like to say, 
that you know that that fucked up way that Cheney thought of it. You know, like I don't know that he did. I don't know that he would. But hey, reader, I think this is where I'm headed, and this is why I'm going to stick around. I'm going to find out if that's really that guy. You know, so I guess that was a decision to put it that way, as opposed to um, I don't know another way. No, no, that, that's really interesting. And, and and you know, the last quarter of the piece is really kind of you know fighting that battle is. And, and and eventually, you know, getting somewhere. Um, do do you want? You mentioned this a little bit. But are, are you interested in, in in writing about politicians covering politics going forward? Well, I'm. You know, it's hard not to be interested in politics right now. But again, I always go back to what are you? You know, not what are you good at, but what what are you? What do you have to contribute as a writer? And I mean. If I'm going to write about politicians, there's going to be a way I do it that I feel like I have something to contribute that that at least I'm offering something new to the conversation. And it's not going to be an analysis. I mean, I used to like, I guess here's 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 what you're you're tapping into here. I used to apologize to my editor like, well, you know, I don't really know what to say about you know, some, I don't know, some policy moment of something. And what do you think I should say? <laughs> and, and, you know, and Mike would go, well, just don't say anything. If you don't have any, I'm like, yeah, but you should say something. He's like, no, you shouldn't, you shouldn't say anything. You, you don't have to say anything if you have nothing to say. I'm like, all right, I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> I'm going to say something about what I have to say something about. Um, I didn't know it was really, it was really freeing to not have to be um, someone other than I'm not, you know, I, I guess it comes, I don't know, I, you know, I teach at a university, I'm always telling my students, like, what do you have to offer? What is it? What's yours? What's you? Um, I don't care about you doing what other people can do. Um, I seem to understand it really well when I'm talking to them. And it's, it's taken me a lot longer to apply it to myself. But I, I, I guess I believe in that. And, and, and talking about uh, the stories that interest you and, and, and where you feel like you have a voice to say, and, you know, that there was a, a, so a transition to Bennett Amalu and, and uh, this concussion story. And I think that's an example of where you went to write about somebody that nobody had heard of. And, and by the time you were done, uh, you know, a large part of this country had heard of him and was aware of what he was trying to say. So how, how did that story first come to you? Oh, gosh. You know, it's similar to the to the other one or similar to what we're saying so you know here now this is uh andy ward who was a, my editor at gq at the time <sighs> i was writing lots of stories for gq and um i was not a sports writer and i knew nothing about sports and it was for this reason that andy kept throwing me sports ideas because his idea was well you'll do a profile of a football player in a way that people who know about sports would would do a different one you know like go go do a profile of a big linebacker and i'm like which one is that you know he's like the guy in the middle who gets beat up all the time the guy that gets bashed just right about him i'm like yeah but i don't know the team the coaches and he's like yeah that's right you won't get you won't get lost in the details of it just i just want to know what it's like to be that guy in the middle getting bashed in all the time. Now that's a really specific kind of editor with a specific kind of question that really kind of knew, put that, put this writer there, 
and see what happens, you know? So take, so here's the same here. So we did that. We wrote about Corey Stringer and um, that was that kind of moment where, you know, that moment. So now take that same equation and Andy turns to me and says, okay, now this concussion crisis that's going on, let's do something about that. I'm like, ugh, I'm not a sports writer. I'm not a science writer. You're really now getting me into the foreign land. He's like, yeah, I think, I think that might be good. And I, I, I did not want to do it. I have to tell you, because, because it really just, it just seemed like such a stretch. And the New York Times was covering it so well. And like, really, again, what the heck do I have to offer? So, so it was really a question of, well, let's just go dig and, and well, no, it was for me, I'm just going to read about it. I'll read and read and read and read and see if there's something there. And I started with the scientific journals and moved forward in time. And there was this one guy, Bennett Omalu, who drops out of the scientific literature, mysteriously in my mind, and he never shows up again. And it seemed like it all went back to him. And I'm like, what happened to this guy? Like, did he die? I mean, like, why does nobody talk about him? And it, that was it. That was my entire question. And as I started trying to find him, I became really interested in the story, you know? It was the mystery of what happened to this guy and this loud conversation is going on in America and the NFL's upset and everybody's upset and football players are upset and but all right there's another like embedded conversation going on here that we've dropped so what if we found that and what's there and you know maybe there would have been nothing there but when I found Bennett and I'm like I'm like Bennett I heard you were no longer part of this this world of, you know, concussions and examining brains. And he's like, oh, no, Bennett Omalo is part of it. <laughs> he was so happy for someone to listen to him. You know, that's how much he had been silenced. So then it became like, oh, OK. It wasn't a really a story about concussion. It was like for me at that moment, it was like, OK, let's unearth this guy and figure out, find out what he has to say. Yeah. And and for you, did it always stay, you know, a, a story of character over, over uh, the issue, you know, underlying it? It started that way, but then character just became the perfect vehicle for, you know, the the rest of it. Um, you know, where you have this this fighter who's, you know, keeps getting tossed around at every turn, but the implications of what he's fighting for. Um, you know, then you can reveal and reveal and reveal and reveal and the stakes get higher and higher and higher um, as you meet, you know, victims of this, this disease and their families and the stakes get higher and higher and higher. And here's the guy still fighting. So it became a, like a great vehicle. And I mean, Bennett was like, I mean, it was insane. We went to Nigeria and met his family and the, the chief, you know, his dad's funeral and everybody's, you know, killing goats and putting them on big spicks and we're eating i mean you know god knows where it took where it takes you you know one character did you were, were you thinking um that that this would have an impact on the debate either when you write the profile or you know when, when it turns into a, a book and a movie and, and, a, and a cultural uh, conversation point oh i did i i mean here's a case where when I wrote the very first story that was in 2009 in GQ, that was the first one, the, the, the feature. Um, 
I, you know, I had, I had worked so hard to kind of like dole out the facts in a way that I thought would, by the end of that story, if you read it, you would not be able to think about this situation in a, again, in any way, but this, I mean, that's how convinced I was of <laughs> everything. I was like, this is going to change everything. And it should like, this is ridiculous what we're doing. Um, and then, you know, and it did, I mean, it did have a, quite an impact. It led to congressional testimonies and stuff like that, but, but the culture didn't change. Nothing changed. I was like, I don't know, that taught me a lot. Like it doesn't, you know, it's just one voice in the wind, no matter how loud it is, it's still just one voice in the wind. And, uh, wow, what do you need to do to change a culture? Wow. <laughs> it's going to take a lot more voices. I don't know. It just, it, you know, I was so profoundly changed by the research. Um, and it just seems so hard to imagine that once you understood it and got it, you also wouldn't be so profoundly changed. Many people were, of course, but it doesn't change a culture, you know? I, I found this quote from 2016 from you saying, culturally, there needs to be a shift. And I think that's starting to happen. Is that still where you're at on this? Oh, definitely. Oh, my goodness, definitely. I mean, I mean, not that I wanted to like contribute to the decline of the NFL viewership, but it is <laughs> declining for lots of reasons, for lots of reasons. But also just, you know, youth sports and the decline of football in, I mean, decline, decline, decline. The numbers are going down and down and down. And I do think that eventually I do see it becoming like boxing. You know, this one sport that everyone, 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 everyone watched. And now it's kind of like a niche. And we do feel bad for the people <laughs> um, getting hit. Uh, I sort of see it that way. And maybe the players are just going to be people coming from really disadvantaged, disadvantaged situations where they really need football to get out. And a lot of rich people are going to be watching them kill themselves and we're gonna have to decide if we're okay with that or not um but if you take it to its logical extension i feel like that's that's about where we're headed now uh, i want to ask a little bit about about, about the actual craft and we, we got into this a little bit but you, with with your uh interest obsession with, with with character and characters i'm curious how plot and, and and narrative arc factors into that i mean are you okay writing a story that doesn't have a beginning and end and and um, the next story I want, I want to ask you about is inside the Federal Bureau of Way Too Many Guns. You can you can take that in as, as an example or, 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 or just generally, but but how do you think about, you know, narrative arc when you are kind of prioritizing character like you do? I always think about narrative arc. So that's kind of at the baseline of it all. So I'm okay with a a, a barely recognizable narrative, narrative arc, but I've got to have something there. Like I have to have... I got to hang it on something. It's like a baseline, maybe, you know, in a, um, in music, mm. like you need the bass or else you're lost, but you don't even realize you need the bass kind of like that. Um, so I, 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 one story I can remember where I was free of narrative arc, of a, of a narrative arc, which something I almost gave up on. It was this crazy <laughs> story about, um, Oh God, it was so crazy. 
about this hitman who was a fake mm-hmm. hitman. He worked mm-hmm. for the ATF. Um, and it was just the most ridiculous story of people hiring this guy to kill someone they loved. And then in the end, the guy would say, sorry, you're arrested and you're going to jail. And I'm not killing the person you loved. And it, But it was just this darkly comic thing because you never knew so many people wanted to kill somebody. And there was no narrative arc because it just was one after the next, after the next, after the next of some ridiculous story. And so we almost gave up on it. I almost gave up on it because I couldn't figure out how to do it. And then one day my editor, this was Mike Benoit, at, at, called me and he's like, you know, I keep talking to my wife about this story and she just keeps laughing and laughing and laughing. Every time I tell her a new one, she keeps laughing. And it occurs to me, maybe we just go for the jokes. <laughs> and we have our guy, we have our character, and he go and he's in these ridiculous situations and maybe we just maybe we just do it and we didn't have to worry and it was so freeing but honestly that was an exception that was really an exception um well i was gonna try and think about how that might relate to the one about the the bureau of way too many guns yeah yeah Um, i'm curious how did you how did you find a narrative arc there uh once you you know find this interesting place well that was a little bit easy because Charlie, you know, was a the, a character the second I met him. I l- <laughs> yeah. loved Charlie. <laughs> and I was like, well, I mean, you know, you know, again, you, you enter these things, you know, it's this crazy story of guns and like oh, this crazy like thing you never realized and you realize most people probably don't realize that we have this warehouse in West Virginia where <laughs> that's how we trace guns. Um, so, but it's a hard story to tell. It's like, ugh. And so I didn't know how I was going to do it, of course. And you go in and then I met Charlie. And I was like, okay, well, at least I can hang this thing on Charlie. Um, but then again, what's the narrative arc? And what we really wanted was we wanted to, we wanted like a crime. And I was going to hang out there as long, long as I could until there was a crime, some exciting murder or something. And the place was going to get excited and we were going to trace the gun from beginning to end and solve the crime. Like, that's what we wanted. Um, but it turned out to be such an unrealistic version of what they really do. And that's what you kind of are, you know, in your reporting, you, you start opening that all up. And, you know, it's like, how do I render this thing? Well, that's not the way to render it, you know, to make up a one particularly... I don't know, convenient evening, um, which maybe I would get if I stuck around long enough, but that's not, wasn't the story of the place. It was, um, in that case, it was almost like going from station to station to station, um, showing, demonstrating how this things works, how this, how this crazy system worked with this one guy, Charlie, trying to make it work despite the mess. Um, and he was st- kind of heroic in that way. And and there's some humor in, in the story too. I'm curious. I'm curious of that. Uh, h- how that came about. Oh, because I just thought I just thought Charlie was hilarious. And in because because I mean it's a ridiculous situation that that we can't have computers to trace our guns, and Charlie has to do all this thing without a computer, and. He no, he doesn't get discouraged. He doesn't he doesn't get angry. He doesn't get mad. He doesn't get defeated. 
he just like it's like a superman story he's like i gotta do this i gotta figure this out i gotta become the computer and he had whiteboards all over his office and couldn't speak without just diagramming and diagramming um you know systems and systems and systems and all the stuff he had created and it was just like a mad scientist kind of story you know and in that way it's like charming and it's funny and it's um delightful you know it could be a really depressed that could be a really depressing and boring story frankly right after you, I, th I after, think that's will be the mm -hmm. assumption when you hear oh there's this you know this warehouse full of, of records and we don't have a good way to track these things and, and people are slipping through and and you know mm -hmm. it, it's a herculean task and uh but that, that, that's not what the story ends up ends up being so i'm, I'm curious you know maybe maybe what the value you see in, in in having that uh having it end up being different than maybe what, what people expect well again you're trying to you're trying to convey information as you would in any story but it, you're also trying to um for me again is evoke the emotion of this place or the emotion the emotion of this guy and the real like breathing life of a a warehouse in West Virginia where this is what they do. <laughs> um, so how do you evoke, you know, that mood and that atmosphere? To me, it's always about, I've, you know, it's like you go in there as a reporter, as a journalist, whatever, and you, you live these experiences and you take it all in like a sponge, you know, you just absorb, 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 and you come home to write it and you're trying to, recreate that you're trying to say okay reader if you were me uh this is what you feel i think like i'm just like you i don't understand this either i i went into this not knowing a damn thing and i i hung out long enough till i understood it and here's what i understood and so you know i want to do that with you in this story i guess that's what i'm usually trying to do I'm not trying to convince you of anything necessarily or or maybe advance an argument necessarily. It's just like, all right, let's live this together. You'd probably be laughing here too. You'd probably be outraged here too. And, you know, you'd probably, if you could see what I see, you'd probably really admire this guy too. And here he is. Is that the kind of stuff you like to read too? Yeah, I like to be transported with a really trustworthy narrator who who doesn't yell at me and bang me over the head with things who just transports i guess has there been a a place you'd love to go that that you you know haven't gotten access to or, or um that you want someone else to go and, and explain to you is, is, do you, you keep a list of you know all the, all the places you want to go or um how, how do you figure out where where it is next that you want to transport yourself and, and, and transport your readers Hmm. I don't keep a list. I always like now I'm working on this really, really long-term thing and uh, I get a little bit impatient because there's like 15 more I want to do, you know, there's never a lack. Let's put it that way of things that you're like, Oh God, it'd be really interesting to hang out there. You know, right. Like recently, recently it was like the thing I thought would be so boring. Um, I met these hedge fund guys reluctantly met reluctantly met these hedge fund guys because 
it was a friend of a friend of a family thing. And I mean, I got done listening to them. I was like, oh my gosh, I just want to like hang out with these hedge fund guys for six months and understand how they're like selling short and or they were like cowboys like trying to stay only they only took on um not cases i guess whatever you call them companies that were doing bad things <laughs> for people and they would figure out how to like i don't know get get them get them to go broke <laughs> I don't know, and make a lot of money off of them. But they would only do it to people that were um, taking advantage of others. It was really interesting. I don't know. I may do that someday. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It sounds fascinating. Do you do you find that you're um, surprised w when you arrive to a place more often or less often than you used to be? I mean, do, do you find that you know you you kind of start to understand what, what you're getting yourself into, or, or do you find you're kind of more capable of of finding that surprising places as you get better and better at at, at uh, you know picking the right place and, and and knowing how to go about it, how to find surprise. Hmm. Gosh, um, I think it could just be I'm always surprised. Maybe I mean, <laughs> yeah. So you're still always things, surprised. Maybe or maybe the things I choose to go into are things I don't understand. Like that might be with the lore of some of them, so that you are automatically surprised. You know, like I don't choose to go places where I understand a lot, or even like um places where my family goes or my my colleagues go like things i understand i don't i can't see anything you know what i mean yeah i need to be like an outsider to be able to see anything and when you're in your own world it's hard to see do, do you like you know traveling and, and and going somewhere new every time for vacation is that just you know how you are for vacation you mean like in real life yeah um yeah in, in real life yeah i like to go like there's always this joke my husband has like I just like to explore. I like to go straight and keep going. And he'll be like, where are we going? I'm like, just around this corner, just around this corner. It's always just around this corner. And I think that's in general. Um, no matter where we are, I just, it's like to go around the next corner. <laughs> There's something over there. So yeah, I think that's just a, um, but it's not like, oh, I design vacations around some adventure or something in particular. It almost doesn't matter. I'm curious when you, whether you're advising students or just kind of looking around the landscape, do you see, you know, th this kind of reporting of, uh, let me go in naive and, and come out an expert compared to, let me burrow down in this niche that I have and report on it constantly. I mean, do people want to do the kind of thing you're doing? Are people doing the kind of thing you're doing more or less? I mean, how, how have you kind of seen your type of, of journalism uh, change? Well, I think the latter is more common because that's what people think they should do. You know, they 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 think well if i'm going to be good at something it's because i really understand it really well and so that should be my my beat you know it makes sense it's logical um and it certainly is a way to go um but i also think it it traps people into thinking you know they they I just see possibilities in the other direction so much more vividly, you know, like what if you turned around and went the other way into this other thing that you never even heard of, um, what might you find there? And, and maybe a way of finding your own sensibilities is by going to those other places. This, maybe they're scary or at least weird or unfamiliar. And, you know, that's a way of finding out like, who are you? Um, 
or another way of defining who you are. Like there's also a way of defining you are by your knowledge and your expertise and your brain. Maybe that's more the brain way. And maybe this is more the kind of um, just emotional, just just um, sensibility way. Um, who are you and what do you have to offer? I always go back to that. Who are you and what do you have to offer? And it doesn't need to be a big answer, you know? It, it's just the truth. And that is so valuable because what you have to offer isn't what I have to offer. So automatically it's interesting. Um, at least that's, I don't know. I often do that. Um, I'll get a bunch of students, for example, who've been like in grad school for a long time. And they're, I, I seem to get them when they're like a little bit sick of what they're doing. I don't know. I seem to get those. And a lot of times they're writing memoir and I get that too. It's because that's the only thing they, you know, that they really know. Um, they have ownership over that, right? It's their, their, yeah. yeah. And, and, and all, oftentimes you're trying to figure something out. So you're writing about your, your, you know, that's, that's completely understandable, but for whatever reason, these folks are, you know, it's becoming stale to them in these moments. And so I'll do something like, we're just going to take this whole semester and we're going to pick a zip code. And I don't even know what the zip code is. Just pick some numbers and that's where we're going. And we're just going to stay there for whatever these four months are. And just everybody here is going to find a different story and we're all going to come back and talk about them and write about them. And what are they? And those are some of the best most surprising stories you know some woman who just walks in to get her hair cut in a barber shop and pretty soon it's a baptist minister barber and this is his church and she's in the congregation for the next of the semester <laughs> you know it's just people get jolted out of their and they're just excited you know and their writing starts really popping because they're just they're writing about what they're surprised about and it's fun can can you tell you know when the when your students are when you're reading their writing whether they're excited or, or, or surprised that does that come through oh always to me to me it's very obvious and sometimes it's not great writing at first you know it's in fits and starts but it's full of like crackle and um maybe uh hesitancy and fear and uh sneaky kind of stuff as opposed to this really polished i know who i am and i'm now going to exquisitely um present it to you in my exquisitely you know you know it's like putting too much makeup on or too much hairspray and, and you're really stiff versus you catch them in their pajamas you know one question i want to ask uh on your way out and since you spent so much time thinking about it, I'm curious, how, how do you describe what you have to offer? Hmm. Gosh, I should have seen that was coming. <laughs> I think probably character studies. I mean, it doesn't really matter what the subject is so much as who is this person and why is he here? How did he, you know, who is this person and how did he get here and what is here? <laughs> um, those kinds of questions are often what I'm struggling with as, as I as I write about it, anybody. Um, and so to me, that's the, I don't know, to me, it's just fun to, to have that in and put that person on a stage and watch them walk around and try and understand their motivations. And so I, th I guess that's me. I guess that's what I would say is my thing. 
yeah if i had to yeah. pick no I, absolutely and it's 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 a joy uh for all of us to read uh you get to do that over and over again and we're we're looking forward to the next project and the one after that again it's uh Jean Marie Laskis and and her most recent book <laughs> to Obama with love joy anger and hope oh we got a a, a dog with a send off here that's perfect perfect timing. oh you want the dog uh, thank you so much <laughs> thank you take care yes no the dog is great <laughs> okay. yeah 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 and thank you all for listening to the Sunday Long Read Podcast. Again, my name is Jacob Feldman. Our guest this week was Jean Marie Laskis. Our producer this week, Julian McKenzie, uh, do- doing the editing work. Hopefully we'll keep the dog in. Uh, Don will be back w- with our next episode. And until then, thank you so much. Bye.